The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. And welcome to a special episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. You know, it's a little known fact that for a brief period in their early days of publication, Wizard was using a crudely drawn cartoon cow as their mascot in ads to promote their magazine. And this is not a joke, guys. This really happened. It is bizarre. So it should be little wonder that in 1997, the house that Gara built aligned themselves with another publisher who chose a ridiculous bovine-themed logo and name for their studio. Yes, tonight. Tonight we are discussing the bizarrely titled Wizard Special Publications Spotlighting the Top Cow Universe issue. <laughs> that is a mouthful. But to add some flavor to our discussion tonight, we decided to visit the comics barnyard, wrangle up a couple of geeks who know a thing or two about old Farmer Silvestri's stable of books and characters. So first up, it's a dude who seemingly has a Top Cow comic within arm's reach at all times, 24 hours a day. You follow his Twitter feed. We are glad to welcome, for his podcast debut, The Man Called Rob. How's it going? Hello, one and all. Thanks for having me. This is fantastic. We've been getting a lot of comments from you uh, over the last few months and just very entertaining. So we figured let's have you on. I brought my Top Cow fan club card with me tonight. So I, I don't know if I'm still a member officially, but I got the card. Very cool. Yeah, you got to re-up. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's right there with my Blockbuster card. Yeah. <laughs> And returning to the podcast tonight is a man who knows that spelling Mark with a C is the telltale sign of artistic greatness. It's Gabe. Welcome back. What's up? Yeah, Mark with a C is right, because Mark with a K is too much like skin mark. <laughs> too much of a visual we don't want to get into. <laughs> but Rob, since this is your first time around on the podcast, we wanted to get to know you a little better. So why don't you tell us your origin story? Sure. So I think probably like most comic collectors, um, you know, I started reading comics when I was probably seven, eight years old. Now I'm a little older than you guys probably. So that was the late 70s. And then again, like a lot of people, you know, I think I discovered girls and whatever sports and that kind of thing. And so I just I sort of stopped reading comics for probably over a decade. I walked into a random comic book store. I remember this vividly in 1994. I was living in San Diego at the time, getting ready to get out of the Navy. And I was hooked immediately right away. I just literally just walked in there and was just blown away by what I saw. Again, it had been over a decade since I'd seen a comic and comics had changed so much. I didn't know what to pick up. I picked up the X-Men. The Phalanx Covenant was going on at the time. So then I was immediately hooked on the X-Men. I collected the X-Men for a year, and that was it. I walked into another comic book store in 95. Looking at the shelves, I saw Weapon Zero number one, which was a Top Cow title. I was blown away by what I saw. I bought that, and it was all sort of downhill from there or uphill, whichever you want to go. Uh, as far as Top Cow goes, I collected every book they put out for 13-ish years until 2005. They just were my favorite studio from that group, and so... 
Yeah, you're the, you're the right man for the discussion tonight. I got to ask, though, what is your current count on comics? Total? Uh, almost 11,000-ish. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, now, and I want to know, too, in the 70s, you know, when you're first collecting, what were you sure. picking up back then? So my favorite titles back then, so I... I, I think I'm lucky. Uh, it was George Perez on the Avengers, which has stuck with me for 40 plus years. And I'm a big Legion of Superheroes fan. And that's when Mike Grell was doing that title. And that was that was a huge high point for the Legion back then. And I've stayed a fan of them forever. That style that Perez and Grell both had, that really hyper detailed, just leaving nothing out sort of has stuck with me. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons I was kind of drawn to, you know, those artists that formed image and how a lot of those guys drew Jim Lee and, you know, Mark Silvestri and then later Michael Turner and those guys, just that style. And then I'm assuming in 94, 95, when you're getting back in, Wizard Magazine is also a part of the collecting. For sure. If Wizard Magazine wanted to have a poster child, they influenced me so much. Like if you looked at my collection, like I didn't read much, hardly any DC back in the day because Wizard, you know, generally leaned toward Marvel and Image for a large part. Whatever Wizard was saying, I was probably at least trying out. Like I was really heavily influenced by them. Yeah, yeah, that was for sure the case. One of us. One of <laughs> us. That's what you. Yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah, this is fantastic. All right, well, let's get just to a little bit of a brief history on this particular publication. So the Wizard Special Publication Spotlighting the Top Cow Universe was released in July 1997. It was packed with an Ascension Number no. Zero comic and a weirdly painted Witchblade trading card. Now, I know, Gabe, you have a sealed copy, right, that you were... So what is up with that card? Can you make sense of that for it's us? It's one of those, like, weird... When they were doing like airbrushing a lot. Yeah. Like, Does it say it's part of a series that they were doing then? They did a painted series, I think, at one point. I didn't collect it. Pop Cow Showcase, the Painted Cow, I think is yeah. what it's called. Oh, the Painted Cow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but as far as what was inside the issue that made it very wizard in, in all its glory, there was a checklist of all the Top Cow comics published up at that point. Just a checklist, not a price list. There was a Brian Douglas Ahern comic strip imagining famous women in history wielding the Witchblade gauntlet. <laughs> My favorite is like, uh, I was about to say Betty Ross, but I was like, oh, Betsy Ross, you know, <laughs> doing the American flag, but like she didn't do much with it. And then a joke list of famous cows in history <laughs> when they did the jim lee special they did all the famous lees of history here they had to be <laughs> famous cows but there was also a contest a single contest in the issue to win a witchblade statue by claiborne moore along with a ton of additional top cow merch so i'm just curious if you guys looked through that list and if there was anything that jumped out at you like that you were just like oh, i wish i had that or hey i do have that just given your your collecting habits oh, there's a ton of stuff yeah go for it yeah the, the statue if i could have afforded it back then it is beautiful yeah what about you gabe what's that to you i mean all that stuff is so hard to find these days like if you look at that kind of stuff on ebay it's just it's just really kind of sad to see it go through like that but just like the i always like the t-shirts and stuff like that that they had back then because those things are so specialized that you didn't just find them in like a normal walmart or a target you had to like special order it through these catalogs or through your comic book store things like that to get those shirts and I'll say for me, there was there's a Wizard Ace Edition Witchblade number one signed by Michael Turner. That's just something we need for the archives here. So <laughs> that would have been my pick. Like, can I just have that, that one? Great. Now, let's just kind of get into then 
how we got to know about Top Cow and Mark Silvestri and all of that, because everybody knows Mark Silvestri is the founder of Top Cow Studios, but he began his career at Marvel, was most well-known for his popular runs on Uncanny X-Men and Wolverine for quite a long time there. But when did you guys first become aware of Mark Silvestri as an artist? Like where you could say, okay, there's a guy named Mark Silvestri. This is what his art looks like. It was 100% Cyberforce. Oh, okay. Be, be, before that, I was not into X-Men at that time and he was on it. I wasn't into Wolverine at that time and he was on it. So he was of the image seven. He was one of the ones that I was like, I don't really know who this guy was that much, but it was the artwork from Cyberforce. So I was like, oh, okay. So this is Mark Silvestri. Okay. I get it. I see why he's here. And he has such a awkward history with image and his relationships and jumping back and forth he was part of homage studios homage studios for a minute and then became yeah. top cow things like that but it was Cyberforce that was like oh this is who he is for that's sure. the one okay that's the one and obviously you saw weapon zero first rob but where did you see mark's art first exactly the same it would have been Cyberforce because again by the time i was picking up weapon zero all those books they'd already been in existence for a couple of years so now of course i'm mad scrambling picked up every single back issue of all those books that i you could find well i found them all of course but yeah that was by far and then of course as i went back to some x-men stuff then i've got some of the older issues of x-men where you know that he drew but but for sure Cyberforce was my first i really didn't know i didn't know who mark silvestri was wow okay yeah see like because i really wasn't aware of him and his art until the darkness hit seeing that in wizard magazine i was just like oh okay this is a distinct style i haven't seen before i'm sure like over the years i picked up also random back issues of x-men i know my friends that were big into wolverine had piles of wolverine so i'm sure I saw his work, but yeah, never would have connected it to him. But as we talked about, right, in 1992, Sylvester, along with six other superstar Marvel artists, founded Image Comics amidst controversy, right? About which Sylvester remarks in an interview from this issue, quote, the only people who were saying anything were the people who wished they were doing what we were doing. It sounds terrible to say, but around the time Image and Top Cow formed, everybody was resting on their laurels. All you had to do was put some foil on a cover and bingo, you'd sell half a million copies. You're not going to have people buying 5 million copies of a comic book anymore. Those days are gone forever. It's interesting. You know, he, he had his place in that moment. Anything with an image eye on the <laughs> in the corner box or on the cover somewhere was going to sell. But the biggest question I think anybody who is hearing about Top Cow has is, why did Silvestri decide to call his studio Top Cow? Okay, because he even admitted eventually to regretting the choice at one point in the early 90s. They ran a contest in Wizard Magazine to have fans submit possible new names for the imprint. But he's given two different origin stories for the name. The first, in response to a, a Wizard reader question about the name in issue 72, which we just covered, of Wizard, I should say, not any other Silvestri book. Silvestri responds jokingly, quote, I tried to name the cup Todd McFarland Productions, I figured we'd sell a lot more comics that way, but that name was already taken. So we just came up with Top Cow. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that one. But then in this issue, he gives a little more detail. We had a bottle of wine in front of us and we happened to be thinking about cows at that moment. The name Top Cow materialized out of somewhere and it stuck. When we sobered up, we were on the brink of changing the name. When someone came in with this really cool logo that seemed to fit. And so for better or for worse, we were kind of stuck with Top Cow. He's like the Joker in the Dark Knight. You know, he ne never get the same story. But you guys, being fans... How does the name Top Cow sit with you? 
do you like that name for the studio? Does it fit? Can you think of a different name? Like, where are you at all these years later? I think it's a terrible, ridiculous name, but I think that works for him because there's no other like top. When you say top cow, it's it's funny and silly to say, but immediately it's like, okay, I'm going to start thinking about the darkness and Witchblade and Mark Silvestri and all that kind of stuff. It's synonymous with this group and with this publishing company like i can't come up with a better name it's 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 irrelevant but i think that's what works as opposed to just being some kind of simple name like you know Sylvestri inc or something like that yeah i I agree Uh, after image started they were ballistic studios for just a little while and then again all of them sat around drinking or whatever and came up with this (laughs) top cow thing which hey what but it is distinctive right you you kind of don't forget that they're top cow it's it's uh, you know it's unique yeah. sure. and no other company is going to use that name you don't have to be oh. like oh one day someone's going to associate me with like you know right socks or something yeah. <laughs> and that logo with the udders yeah. coming <laughs> off the earth I mean, yeah. wild i obviously personally think it is ridiculous it's stupid if i was going to rename it if i was at that table with mark at that time i would have said like if you're having a book called Cyberforce, call it like cyber graphic studios or silver's tree studios a play on Sylvester. <laughs> silver's tree come on sure. have a silver tree logo would have been great i don't know <laughs> he doesn't need my help <laughs> <laughs> but it uh, works it's still there it's still it around worked. yeah it's still working <laughs> so and we, you guys have mentioned this that it was such an entry point for you but his first creator-owned book was Cyberforce, which featured characters classified as mutants who were given a brain box by the cyber data corporation that unlocked their enhanced abilities am i getting that right essentially so that's it yeah you have yeah. the right track it, it's, it just gets more and more ridiculous it just becomes <laughs> kind of like a word soup of things after a while yeah. and there's a group of rebel mutants who broke away and they form cyber force that are trying to kind of help liberate other mutants kind of forced to do the will of cyber data it's one of those things it just feels like okay here's mark silvestri everything he wanted to do on x-men you know chris claremont's like no this is my show and then he's like okay now i get my own thing and i just do my mutant book yeah instead of a guy with four arms i'm gonna go guy with six arms yeah (laughs) right so I'm, at, I'm just curious for you guys, like, again, this was like, you know, you're seeing this is what Mark Silvestri does. It's cyber force. What was your general impression? Was it just the art? Did you like the stories? Who was like the best character in the series? If I had to pick a favorite character, probably ballistic. Some of that had to do. I, there was like a three issue miniseries they did early on. And and Michael Turner, I think that was probably Michael Turner's first work, maybe. So I was blown away by all that. Uh, and I think that's probably why I like that character. But you're right. I mean, a lot of that stuff, it, I, you know, I hate to say it because I like him so much, but it it, it was derivative. And it, there's only so many superheroes you can come up with before you start. It's, you know, how many different powers and... Well, that's know, true. Like, but at the same time, <laughs> having Psyblade literally have the same psychic knife as Psylocke, sure. I don't know about yeah. that. <laughs> well, I, I, I hear you. I, I don't oh. disagree with that at all. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Gabe? Like, is oh. it a book that holds up for you now? No, not at all. That's 11-year-old Gabe picking up comics and testing things out and really was more of an art guy and was following things because art looked cool. What it really was is there was a, when they did the Killer Instinct storyline with Wildcats, that was my first like impression. It was like, I found Mark Devestri through Wildcats because they did that crossover event. And yeah. because of that crossover event and all the kind of cool stuff that happened in it, Ripclaw. Ripclaw is another just guy with blades on his hands, very much like another Wolverine, another Wolverine, or even (laughs) Warblade from uh, Wildcat 2. It was a guy who turned his hands into all kinds of different knives and sharp stuff and pointy things, right? But he was just a cool 
Wolverine character, you know, short tempered, short guy, bad attitude, has a long ponytail, you know, he's just kind of cool like that. It was just an action packed book with like lots of, it was like X-Force in, in Top Cow. Like he kind of took Rob Liefeld's idea or whatever, but it was like more, you know, guns and weapons and things like that and artillery as opposed to like casting out spells or mines and stuff like that. Yeah, like in, obviously, I I wasn't reading uh, any Cyber Force back in the day. I only saw it through ads and Wizard. But like, I remember like the character that always stood out to me is like Velocity. She is the most interesting character mm-hmm. design. But even that, if you look at it, it's like it's Domino, it's Quicksilver, and Jubilee, kind of an amalgam there. <laughs> uh, but I read that Ballistic miniseries just recently. Like, I found it in a back issue bin. I want to do a little research and understand sure. Top Cow, and that was really good. Like, I, I, I thought that was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And and also her team up with Ghost Rider for Devil's Reign for that crossover. So entertaining. Like I, I think Ballistic probably is my favorite Top Cow character because of those interactions I've had. I'm going to find some of those issues. That sounds awesome. I didn't know that she yeah, did a crossover yeah. with uh, Ghost Rider. How yeah. cool is that? Here's the thing. So uh, during this time, though, Top Cow seemed to really have a slow build adding the new titles to their line those first three years because it's, it's Cyber Force and spinoffs from Cyber Force, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you have Code Names strike force and rip clawed some Cyblade crossover books with she and like uh, things like that but it was also i didn't know about this till i looked at the checklist for two issues the home of dale keown's pit <laughs> which is crazy so and- odd i don't know if he was looking for a if he needed somebody to produce his books just for a couple of issues that's my guess yeah because then he was gone again it didn't they didn't, there was no crossing over that's my guess anyway I, it has to be yeah then also he was trying out a new team book eventually with weapon zero like you you were talking about rob now this is how Sylvester kind of explains his reasoning though his gradual growth he says quote i always saw myself as a guy who was going to build slowly i had to keep my ego in check at certain times and realize that eventually my day would come early on top cow built its reputation on quality Those early books I put out had varying degrees of success, but my intentions were always high. And again, he's just, he just seems so wise. And obviously he was the oldest of like the group that was, you know, forming Image. And, you know, you got Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee that seemed like the more impulsive ones are just like, we got to get stuff out there. We got, you know, they're competing with each other. Todd's just doing his own thing. Eric's doing his own thing. They're dedicated to one idea. But during that period then, you know, you said, Rob, you, you eventually are picking up all the books, but outside of Cyberforce, did you either have a favorite or Gabe, were there other Top Cow books you started picking up during that era, that those early years? It was Cyberforce until Michael Turner came around. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. For me, I, I, Top Cow just wasn't, wasn't on my radar besides, and I got like, you know, maybe like the first 12 issues of, of Cyber Force wasn't on my radar much besides that. It just, the art wasn't working on those books for me. I don't know if my back in those days, we, we grew up in a kind of the same area at one point, uh, yeah. Adam, is you, you were dedicated to whatever comic book store you can walk to as a kid. And if my shop didn't have it, I didn't really know it existed. Right. So it was kind of, or, or if it wasn't in Wizard, I didn't really know it existed. Like I didn't, there wasn't exposure to it. So it was Cyber Force and I fell off of Cyber Force after a bit. And then when Michael Turner came in, it was a tidal wave. It was just this bomb that blew up. Yeah. And that's when it was like Witchblade and that led into like darkness and things of that sort. And eventually okay. like, 
that. But in this era, it was strictly like early image era when it was still like Malibu and stuff like that. It was Cyber Force. Okay. And then Rob, like you're talking about Weapon Zero. Was that a book you really enjoyed? Like from that first moment you saw it, did it continue to impress? Yes. Uh, that book took a weird turn. Uh, you know, it's it was. I don't know if you remember or if you've seen it. It, it did a countdown when the the original like mini was a T minus four minus three minus two minus one zero, and then the regular series started. Those first five, the the mini up to zero was really really good. Some pretty hardcore sci fi, and 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 Walt Simonson was uh, writing it at the time. He actually wrote most of the series, but for whatever reason, when issue one started, all of a sudden it kind of turned into a almost kind of not quite a comedy, but sort of. They tried to be funny with it. And, and Joe Benitez, who I'm a huge fan of, who did the art, a huge fan. His stuff, they changed the style a lot. And then I think that didn't work. And then they tried to sort of reverse course. But I think by that time, the damage had been done. And I, it was done with issue 15, I think, is when it finished up. But uh, oh, okay. But Joe, again, Joe Benitez was so good. It's a toss-up between he and Michael Turner for me as far as... Um, yeah, Joe yeah. Benitez is. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later, but when he got, he was on Darkness. Yeah, that's that was that was a sweet spot there. Okay, I'm looking forward to hearing about that because uh, you know, obviously, I wasn't again reading any. I, I wasn't reading any image books really until 1995 with the ongoing Gen 13. Mm-hmm. So like Sylvester's books weren't even on my radar. <laughs> if, if I was even looking at image, they were on the bottom of my list next to like wet works, where I'm just like the guys I don't know anything about and right. publishing and, occasionally. And this is all the the land of like weird release schedules and things yeah. not being on time and things not shipping or things shipping out of order. So it was really hard to kind of just try to even keep up with any of this stuff. And then like Pop Cow was kind of like, like a, on the fringe of Image Comics, you know? Well, and then yeah, so it wasn't like, a lot of stuff there. And you guys mentioned, you know, like he was working out of Jim Lee's studio. Mm-hmm. And then at this point, then he decides to break away, sets up his own base of operations in LA. Now he's hiring new young artists to work on his titles, right? You know, he's choosing to handle the business affairs more than draw the books, which is what most yeah. of, you know, the image founders did. There's like, oh, I'll get these new kids that could draw in my style or whatever. And then the new talents, though, that we, you know, one in particular, who we've mentioned led to Top Cow leaving Image briefly as we've covered on the podcast after Rob Liefeld tried to hire away Michael Turner from Silvestri. <laughs> and, and that's so, the strangest story that that's the thing that broke up Image was Michael Turner being yeah. headhunted. So yeah. talented. Everybody yeah. wanted it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Top Cow didn't really emerge, though, from the shadow of Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane, you know, who really seemed to have the biggest imprint there until Witchblade. I mean, that was the explosion, right? That was it. You got David Woolley, you got Christina Z, you got Michael Turner and D-Tron. (laughs) D-Tron. That's just a great name. Come on. It is a great Um, name. I love that name. Silvestri says of the book's immediate success, quote, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I think the way we handled Witchblade from the promotion to creation to marketing could stand as an industry model, which you can't argue with with the success the continuing success of that book like it's one of those things so let's talk about that then guys when did you start reading witchblade and what do you think was the biggest factor that got you to buy the book michael turner drawn hot chicks (laughs) that's that's, that's a lot of answers that's a fairly accurate yeah that's gonna be a lot of the answers for probably some of the questions throughout (laughs) our conversation (laughs) is michael turner drawn hot chicks i mean that's that was like the entry into it but we got into it it's 
in the era of like bad girl comics, like mm-hmm. this is like one of the first good girl comics that I came across where it was, you know, I had some cool, like kind of supernatural side of things with it. You got this mysterious uh, artifact that she's wearing and how that starts connecting to things. She's a, she's a homicide detective. So it's things like that. It was really like Top Cow, this is really kind of pushing something fun. Whereas like, here's this really like, you know, attractive girl because it's Michael Turner drawn it. He, he can't draw anything not attractive, but it's, hey, here's a detective. And she gets this mysterious artifact that comes and it becomes a part of her and gives her this like sexy bikini kind of thing going on in her clothes somehow disappear. But it's just, it turns into like this really kind of like fantasy storyline. I probably read it for probably like the first like 15, 20 issues or so. And then later on, I got back on in my Ron Mars. Okay. back onto it so it was a big gap at one point but it was those michael turner issues those that the first like 20 so issues or whatever you get to see him kind of grow you see him start off a little rough and just find his niche and find his path and become something great towards the end and that turns into like fathom and it's just it's a fun experience with that as well okay yeah. rob are you there with issue number one uh, you know what? I got the I brought the Wizard Ace edition because I figured, nice. oh, you know, we need to be having our wizard stuff. <laughs> and then, of course, her first appearance in Sideblade, she, which is her official sort of awesome. That's a great but book. It is a great book. Yeah, but you know, Top Cow was really good at yeah. You know, now again, I was picking up everything at that point from Top Cow, and so there were ads for that book and everything. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. There would be mm-hmm. pinups that Michael Turner was doing in the back of some of the titles, you know, with images of Witchblade. And so, you know, it grabbed me, of course. And yeah, I mean, I was, I was with it for a little over 50 issues, I think, um, before I finally, you know, stopped reading it. But could you qualify it as a bad girl book? I suppose, but I think there was something else there that was a yeah. little above what most quote unquote, bad girl books were doing at that time. There was a story there. And again, at that point, when Witchblade came out, Top Cow really had sort of, they were moving away from the superhero thing quickly. Like that, they, what they were starting to put out was a completely different sort of book. Um, you could see it kind of happening with all their titles when it became Darkness and all these other books that we'll talk about. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's interesting because like, you know, obviously I wasn't reading any bad girl books at the time. So I didn't buy an issue of Witchblade until like last year, you know, just like, <laughs> again, I got to like, do research. So here we are, you know, there's yeah. one that has like a wizard quote on the cover. So I'm like, okay, I'll grab that, you know, but, but overall, like I just lumped it in with the bad girl books and then having read it this last year like the first eight issues just to kind of start out i'm just like i can see the appeal like you say it's just there's so much more to it now Mm -hmm. is it 100 percent my cup of tea we might get into that a little bit later but in terms of storytelling it's way above something like evangeline you know or anything like that like there's there's way more to it and the question I have for you guys is, you know, we brought it up several times, Michael Turner's art, his figure work, you know, all of that, just making beautiful people. But what appeals to you most about his artwork in general, maybe outside of just the people? Like what, because it has to be more than that, right? There's people who could draw great figures and their comics legacy isn't as rich as Michael Turner's. Can you spotlight like something else that he's good at? It's just this kinetics of his pages, how he arranges pages, how he sets up pages. And like there are some black and white issues of some of those books like Witchblade. I didn't pull one out, but where it just shows his penciling work. It's stunning. It's amazing. It's not where here's some sort of layouts. Let me give it to the inker and he can sort of fill in. And I mean, those pencils are so incredibly detailed and just beautiful to look at. I I think on top of that, I also enjoyed his storytelling. Like it's easy to kind of, you can look through Witchblade for the most part 
and be like, okay, I kind of got an idea of my eye is able to flow across the page the right way. Things get pointed out. There's always like this really cool like anchor figure, like a bigger figure on the page. Like he just has a way of doing like a storytelling where it's like, okay, this person's grabbing this out of a drawer and you can follow where they are. Interesting like camera shots, I guess you can say, right? It's not all just like, you know, close up to beautiful women. It's you get full figures, you get angles, you get bird's eye view, you get worm's eye view, you get all this cool perspective stuff. Like, he was a technical artist. He just kind of found like this unfortunate, like n- unfortunate, whatever you want to describe it as, niche of drawing hot chicks. And he kind of got, you know, squeezed into that kind of mode of things. But you realize later on, or even through the books that you when you look past that is there is an artist involved with this. Like he is somebody who was able to lay down stuff and be a storyteller. And that was one of the important things about his art. Other than everything that you said as well, Rob, but I'll take you back off of that. Yeah, the beautiful details, but it's the storytelling, like his ability to kind of put things down on paper. Yeah, I mean, I I can certainly understand the appeal of the beautiful pouty-lipped women that Mm -hmm. he draws. You know, it's not for me. It's not what I look for in a book. It's a little too serious, but I do think, like you're saying, he does a great job of adding detail to his backgrounds, like a building, (laughs) a chandelier, a whatever, you know, like it it all looks awesome. But I've I've also said on the, you know, on the podcast, before i can't relate to the beautiful people especially the giant pretty faces like in the foreground and the layering like it's too (laughs) soap opera for me everybody is too posed that's why he never quite appealed to me but i i can look at like the full page he's created and say you know what it's not just about that and i and i can you know applaud his his work that way but i want to ask because you know in the wake of witchblade's success then sylvester decided to return to drawing comics finally launching the darkness which is something he said he been developing for a long time trying to find the right writer trying to find the right angle finally gets it with garth ennis and the book proved not only to serve really as the ying to which blades yang right you have now a male criminal instead of a female police officer uh-huh. and they, they are their origins of their power and all that is kind of similar but it seemed to really match the book in popularity like immediately like that just as fast as witchblade was popular the darkness was so i'm curious for you guys in picking up the darkness is there a greater appeal with the darkness versus witchblade or vice versa like or do you feel they're just of equal quality kind of a similar story in a similar universe i enjoyed darkness a lot better because it was more macho of a book you know witchblade pretty girl cop story stuff like that but then you go over to darkness and it's a mafia hitman who drives the best cars, has little demons that he makes, and he does all these really cool kind of creaturey things and stuff like that, with the cool aspect of like, here's a guy who is one of the worst people you could think of in terms of him being a hitman for the mafia. And now he's given godlike powers. And we kind of go through his journey with dealing with that. The art on that book with Mark Silvestri, I don't know. That's a whole other discussion. He must have had like 25 arts assistants in it because no two figures or, or characters looked alike in that series. I mean, so he he's definitely doing the covers, but not he, so much the interiors. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He must have been doing like super loose layouts or, or something and somebody else uncredited like finished it off. Yeah, if you look in those books, there are there were always a lot of inkers. You get a lot of inkers. There'd be like five or six guys yeah. who would wonder. And I enjoyed the book too a lot. The only thing that disappointed me about that book, and I can remember distinctly when I knew it was coming out and I heard about the creative team and I knew that Ennis was going to write it. I didn't think they let him go far enough. This was the guy that's doing Preacher. And if you read Preacher, you know yeah. how far that guy could go. And I don't know if he needed to go that far. 
that's a whole different far. But I felt like they sort of restrained him to sort of a PG-13. I, I would have almost liked him to push it a little farther um, with what some mm-hmm. of the things he did in that book. Not that I didn't enjoy the story. And he's a, he, I love that guy. Right. <laughs> I definitely agree. Coming off a of preacher, I was hoping I'm getting something more from him, more of like, uh, coincidentally enough, Hitman. Sure. Something a little bit more kind of gritty, <laughs> kind of yeah. more gritty and just like, crazy out of out of control situations like that and i think you're right maybe they ran him back he was only on it for six issues yeah, he was on it. yeah like it was a very short time and then he went off and i think he got married and he, it was his honeymoon time and things like that right but i don't know how much effort he put into that because yeah it was very just like weak tea like garth it in terms of like the bravado that he provides in, in yeah. things like hitman or other other series that he writes it felt like the concept is really like if you could nail down the concept mm-hmm. of the world and then he's like i'm out and but like for example like when i compare the two the witchblade stories that i've read they seem to have like a very slow build to anything happening in the story and it's a lot you know it's just like it's very decompressed <laughs> yeah it's like a yeah. gothic romance adventure story and you're just like oh okay i know you're feeling bad this guy likes you he's your partner or whatever your partner dies is like all this stuff happening you know i'm just like oh, okay okay but like within those first few issues jackie like learns the rules of the darkness specifically that he can't have sex or he'll die which is hilarious <laughs> and unexpected and plus i think i prefer just the design of the darkness is one of the truly <laughs> unique superhero costumes like it's not derivative of anything else you look at it you're just like what are these like dragon scales snake skin what am i looking at metal mask kind of thing going yeah it's so cool and so like the darkness definitely is is one of those characters like i said that's what made me pay attention to sylvestrium and the fact that like at the time he had long hair too so i'm just like did he just like pose himself in the mirror (laughs) i'm the darkness yeah it just the darkness uh, immediately like it set up the world for you like like with which play i didn't know who the villain really was for a while it took a minute and it was just like a regular kind of dude a guy in right? a suit yeah it's not that <laughs> right. another dude in a suit right the whole the whole thing is her against guys in suits but with darkness you got like the angelus like immediately and you got her origin story and what her idea was and what she wanted with that darkness then you also kind of got the cult i keep forgetting the name of the cult but the cult who was trying to teach him how to be the darkness and, and, and be able to control him so it really did like this big world building like quickly like you really got into he's he's a mafia guy so you got to meet all the mafia masters and all these other kind of people that he kind of hangs out with and which play took a while before they started getting a supporting cast with her it was usually like her and the same three friends at this time now in 1997 top cow is using this like huge sales success to launch several new titles like rob was saying going in a new direction now less superhero more magic and whatever is going to be evolved so they are giving their in-house artists this opportunity to do their creator own thing. And so that's what this publication feels like mostly a hype book for mm-hmm. those new titles that are being launched. So we're going to take a few minutes, kind of discuss what was coming out at this time. Now it makes the cover. It's the zero issue put in here a hundred percent. This is the book they were most hyped about. And that is Ascension by Dave Finch and bot uh, who were sharing the writing and art duties of this. Uh, like they were sharing also the creator owed duties on that so near as i could tell i've read a few issues i looked into it reading in here it's like two warring groups of interdimensional beings they look a lot like angels and demons <laughs> they break through our plane of existence through a rift caused by the chernobyl disaster yeah. and the radiation these two researchers find pages of an ancient book it transforms one of them into this angel creature he's got flaming wings and all this stuff so ascension 
What did you guys think when this came out? Was this a big one on your list that you were excited for? Yes, but again, <laughs> I'm probably not the right one to keep asking that question because, but <laughs> Finch's R way, and I, again, he's a longtime favorite, and that guy's been working now for all the way through Batman. I don't know what he's doing now, but you know, that this is his early stuff, but it's still very distinctive. It's still very much David Finch, and that the artwork in those books are impressive. The story's debatable whether or not <laughs> it's all that great of a story, but you can't deny the. Yeah, so that, I mean that's kind of my take. Visually striking if you like Dave Finch's artwork, but yeah, if you like Dave Finch's figure work, because there's like two backgrounds in every issue of the book. <laughs> like, even the zero issue, I was flipping through, it and it's all like solid background colors, and then like there's like a page of a building kind of thing. Yeah, um, I was hoping for more out of it, honestly, because the way you described it, Adam, wonderful. I was trying to read it again in the special, and it took three different people to explain what the <laughs> what the ages story was, and they each told it differently. So even reading the book, I probably read like maybe for for extension, like maybe the first two or three issues I was getting it. Because when you kind of like order your books, it's like three months ahead of time. So you end up getting one, two, and three before you start reading one. And one's like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. This doesn't make sense. I get it. Chernobyl, it's a split. It's, it's kind of a stretch. It's beautiful. I was hoping for more gothic artwork from David Finch with, you know, angels and stuff kind of thing. But it was really just kind of just regular kind of people for the most yeah, part. That, that's regular the settings. The main characters are boring. Even the guy that's yeah. turned into an angel, demon, creature, whatever he's supposed to be, is mm -hmm. not that interesting. He just looks cool. Right. And, and I think it just suffered, and I think a lot of these titles we're going to get into just tried to be too epic. And that, that's what they were going for. Like, it's this whole thing. There's all this history. And you're just like, eh, just get us into a cool story with interesting characters. And then, you know. Let me learn the story by reading the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now, yeah. next up is Arcanum by writer-artist Brandon Peterson, which tells the story of, well, 800 years of magic that takes three pages to explain in this special. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh, come on. And basically, there's specially recruited individuals called avatars. They're, like, very diverse. They're magically powered people from around the world. They're fighting to prevent these two kind of magical bad guys that have teamed up. A guy named Blake, a guy named Royale. They're going to bring about Armageddon somehow. The one thing I thought was cool about this is just that it was tied to like the medieval spawn witchblade crossover, like the seeds were planted there. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Okay. But overall, I was just like, again, what is this book? <laughs> like, like, I remember seeing the ads and it looked like a Doctor Strange ripoff. And then reading the interview with Peterson just made me realize how much more convoluted it was. It's like you have a friend <laughs> who's like built out this whole like complex world of his own fantasy series. He wants to tell you all about it. It means so much to him and there's no hook to pull you in. You're like, it's, it's like the same reason for me personally. I'm not into Lord of the Rings. I would never even approach Game of Thrones. There's too many characters, too much world building. Like, can we keep it simple? But Arcanum, guys, anything for you? This is the first time I heard of it was reading it through this book. Really? Yeah, never heard of it before. Never saw it before. All the collections I bought throughout my years with, with Torpedo and other comic book stores crossing the country buying collections. I don't think I've ever really ran across anybody that had like a run of Arcanum. I was reading. Awesome, dude. You're it's you and probably like Mark Sebestri who owns yep. these books. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never seen these things. And reading the article in there on everything like you were saying, Adam, I was like, this doesn't make sense. It's 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 kind of like a little kid going, and then this happens, and then this, and then this, and then this. 
And it goes back to this. And I'm like, I have to have a PhD in this book already just to read this interview about this book. Yeah, Rob, like as you got to know the different avatars and whatever, is there like a standout character, a breakout? No. No, because that rock guy looks cool. you gentlemen are wrong. Like, you know, I went back because admit a lot of these books I haven't read since they came out. And so, you know, when I knew I was going to come on, I thought I'd crack open a couple of these and kind of do a little bit of a reread to see. And and I think, you know, Top Cow wanted to let these creators kind of try to create and see what they could come up with because they had talent, artistic talent for sure. But then when you let artistic talent start doing some writing and doing creating, you get mixed results. So I think that's kind of what you got. And And again, for me, even on a book like this, because I was so still new into comics at this point, the visual parts of these books were what drew me to them more than anything. And if I, if I was impressed by the visuals, I could probably tolerate a not so great story most of the time um, if the visuals grabbed me. And so, yeah, well, what I'm surprised about is that, you know, if they could be like co-plotters on a book or something that Mark Silvestri was approving, but like even he at the beginning was very smart in bringing on actual professional writers like people like steve gerber or whoever like yeah. they had a history and yeah he's like and i'll do the art and i'll do the designs and i'll probably help with the plotting and all that so he should have set these guys up for success by giving them writers to work with i mean maybe they were too high on themselves like well, just let me do my thing but i it just feels like that would have been a greater way to give these a little something else because the next one here was like really like the ambition the spirit of, they say it's pronounced Tao, even though we would probably say Tao. Spirit of yeah. Tao, the spirit of Tao, uh, was part of a first time ever in comics, simultaneous worldwide launch in 50 countries, meaning it was going to be translated in all the different languages. They were saying that normally internationally it would take a few years for the American comics to get translated, get published in, in other languages, but now they're doing it all at once. It's this huge thing they're coordinating, but the series was being penciled by Billy Tan with inks by D-Tron, who was also also scripting the book at this time so he's getting into his writing and the premise involves as again this is me taking as much as i could from it a boy and a girl who were born <laughs> by mystical means after blood spilled upon magical scepters that were powerful and and then wait for it here they were fighting an ancient war against evil forces for the fate of the world sounds familiar yeah Brand new. never before <laughs> yeah. written about yes <laughs> Spirit of Tao, guys. Anybody? Billy Tan fans? Did you like his work at Top Cow overall? I did. Yeah, his art was great in the book. It just, like, with a lot of this, unfortunately, it's just the writing. I don't know if there was editors involved, but the writing in these series are, are always all over the place, unfortunately. This early period of Top Cow. You know, exactly what we've been talking before with the discussion. You start getting these artists to come to become writers, and they're not, they don't seem like they're getting any kind of, like, mentoring or a hand-holding or... I think mentoring is the right word. Nobody's taking them under their wing and saying, hey, here's how things are laid out. Here's how you figure out how from a story goes from here to here. A story, B story, B story goes along this way, things like that. These stories are always all over the place. That first issue, I read a book at thou, and I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I, I Okay, art, cool. I can settle in. I can follow the art. I kind of follow the story. But, you know, me at like 12, 13 years old when these were coming out, 14 years old, there's only so much money I had. And a lot of that was going to get cycled through into like Marvel or DC because I tried these books out, wasn't happening. And I just moved my money elsewhere. And I got to say, so, you know, I, I'm coming into this special. I'm not a Top Cow fan, never was a Top Cow mm -hmm. fan. So this was a bit of a slog, even as thin as this is. 
yeah. reading about all of this stuff and i'm just like my goodness they want me to understand so much but this was the article that broke me as i read <laughs> it all because i look at just the designs the main guy looks like a teenage jackie estacado and, the and it girl looks like which looks play? like a redhead sarah pizzini like yep. they, they're exactly the same models just a little skinnier to make them a little bit younger it's yeah. that thing where everybody was copying Mark Silvestri's style, Jim Lee's style, Rob Byfield's style. And it kind of got insectuous, where it's like the guy that's copying his style is now copying his style elsewhere. Or, you know, somebody else is copying his style who was copying his style. And it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, the art's fine, fun, but it's, it's nothing new. Like, it's, it's, the characters are kind of, you know, interchangeable. The storyline's fairly interchangeable. It's cool that it got launched in like 50 countries at once, but that's not going to make me enjoy the book anymore. It makes yeah. me want to know which country it was the most popular in. Because maybe there is like someplace in Europe. They're like, we love this book. Maybe. And let's face it, it was a it was a rough time in the comic industry anyway. So you're launching yeah. these kind of books and the chances that they were going to make it were just so slim. And like you guys say, you know, you read the first issue like, what is happening here? Yeah. Uh, I was scrolling through wikipedia and mycomicshop.com and other resources to kind of look at these issues. Sure. And like, I mean, they lasted like seven eight yep. issues oh, yeah. most yep. of these you know which blade lasted forever that's still more or less going on yes. uh darkness has had some dips and some stuff like that but like, ascension was like like eight issues book of towel was like four or five issues like, it's all really short stuff it just shows that it's cool try it out you know it, it's no 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 harm in trying things and thinking what it works but it seemed like nothing in it worked and it's funny because in this book the whole time it's very corporate speak from from mark Silvestri. We're, we're all about quality over quantity and i'm like i don't know if any of that really landed other than witchblade and dark yeah and i think that's just what it was right they're like we figured it out people yeah. love our books everybody here we're all a part of it let's just throw mm. your stuff at the wall and it's gonna work <laughs> speaking of this last one here which is nine volt this is what i posted this this ad of all these new titles coming out on our social media and nobody had heard of nine volt they're like what is this and it says here it's a sci-fi adventure Cliff's son and Anthony Chun, and Chun describes it as, quote, a high-octane X-Files. It's what X-Files might be if Japanese rubber-suited monsters were used in its filming. And you're like, okay, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to consider. And then the team of heroes in this book, it consists of, there's a, some type of mad scientist, Dr. Voltaire. He has an assistant named Alice Green. They've created a young female robot named Digit. There's an alien warrior named Ragnar who comes down and a special agent. He's kind of like an action hero fox Mulder, frank holden who's always wanted to believe an extraterrestrial you know contact and all that and they're working together to fight off an alien invasion okay <laughs> <laughs> the thing that i when i read this article anthony chun admits that nine volt means nothing it just sounded cool to him. And that's where I was just like, oh, I, I was out. Because yeah. it's clear they're not taking it serious from jump. Yeah. It's like you, <laughs> you grabbed a bunch of genres, you threw them in a blender, and you said it's groundbreaking. It's a new style of storytelling no one's seen before. And the digit design is very striking. Yeah. But mostly it's like a weird China doll thing. You're like, I don't know <laughs> what I'm looking at. But otherwise, you're just like, I, nine volt tells me nothing. And then you guys tell me more. And you didn't sell me. Yeah. yeah. Don't tell me the, the bad stuff you're doing about the book. You know, yeah. like, yeah. 
if we just it, name doesn't mean anything, we just think it sound cool. Like it's yeah, Digit, I think is like the coolest looking character. I agree on that, but I've never seen Nine Volt pop up anywhere before either. Rob's issues here is the first you time I've ever seen house. Nine I Volt. Got a few, I got a few issues. Oh man, I'll come over and read that stuff. <laughs> but this is this is such obscure book, you know, and that's what this whole entire magazine was about was like this big promotional dump about this is what we're doing, this is our next best thing. And what happens is it's the next kind of generation of Top Cow that becomes like this massive, massive movement for a little bit. And the last thing they mention is just there's going to be a revamp again of Weapon Zero, like we were talking about. So, you know, you have Walt Simonson taking his departure, Joe Benitez, and this guy Victor Lamas is going to write it. And it then went two, it went two issues. I looked. <laughs> Victor Lamas came on. It went, he wrote it for 14 and 15. And then the book ended at 15, unfortunately, because it had sort of, I was liking that book again. It had sort of gotten away from this sort of cartoon whatever they were trying to do and it got a little more hardcore sci-fi kind of thing going on which i kind of liked but again yeah. you're talking 1997-ish here and, and and i'm sure part of this is you've got these creators that and these amazing pencilers that have come on board and you want to keep them right you don't want to lose them you want to do a book sure we'll let you do this book it may not be any good and it probably won't last more than four issues but I guess at least you have to give them some kind of credit that they were at least willing to take chances on these guys and say sure you want to try this we'll try it it may fail miserably but you know let's try it at least there's one more book we didn't mention. I'm curious, you guys, 21. Is 21 like almost the same as Weapon Zero? Kind of the same concept almost? Uh, it's it's even harder core sci-fi. It's, okay. It, I think it only lasted like three issues. I'm not they even sure. They make it to 21 issues. There's false promises in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I want to know from you guys, again, of these early days... If you had to like identify the Top Cow house style of storytelling, how would you describe it? If somebody said like, well, what are Top Cow books? Now that we've really discussed this, you guys have read them. You guys have known of them for all these years. How do you bring it down into say, okay, this is the log line for, for Top Cow Studios. What are they about? Pretty pictures. Pretty pictures. Fun storytelling. Your mileage might vary. <laughs> Yeah, I think Gabe's kind of spot on with that. And again, I'm older, but the same thing because I just got back into comics. I was still so impressed with the visuals of these books. Later on in my collecting, did I realize, oh, there's good writing out there. And, you know, there's, there's some people that actually know how to write a comic. But for at that time when I was collecting those books, for the most part, you know, I, I was just blown away visually they did have some pretty impressive artists that did their work and you know again mileage may vary on whether or not the book was any good and if it was going to last past four issues or three issues or whatever but well that's the thing like so when i look at the image founders and, the, and their studios and where they came to about 97 you know it's like todd mcfarland what is he he's horror action if savage dragon eric larson what's he doing you know it's just like action action you know <laughs> and rob liefeld's long gone at this point but at his point he's just like derivative action is what i would call it then you have jim lee wildstorm is all militaristic action like it's very military very organized groups and they got their gear they got all that and so like when i look at top cow to me it's mystical sci-fi yeah that's basically how i would bring them down but reading this special again the thing that just jumped out at me it wasn't just spirit of Dow. there are so many characters the house style of male protagonist is tortured but quippy super fit guys with long black hair <laughs> that is the top cow hero like that's all they do <laughs> You're not wrong. I'm, yeah. I mean, we've all had the same experience. It's the only one that isn't like super action stuff, right? Like you said, it's it's mystical meets sci-fi, alien invasions, 
the demonic forces, stuff like that. One thing we haven't really talked about, but we're talking about with art, is the coloring in these books. Yeah. That Top Cow was really doing was, yeah, was great. And this is at a time when digital coloring was a very new thing. So you can see some things in here that's very experimental, might not have worked. But for the most part, like things like the darkness, you get so many different blacks and it all kind of works and it fits in the lighting. And with Witchblade, you get, it's, it's, a, it's a much lighter book and they kept it to that tone. Even things like Book of Dao or even things like Ascension, where it's like the coloring really pops and really brings out a lot of the artwork in this as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think their production values, what they did with their books in a lot of ways, again, coloring being, being one of the huge ones. I think they were some of the best produced books out there by anybody at Image. And all of those guys put out some pretty, high, you know, they're, they changed the, they literally changed the industry as far as, you know, what, how people produced books. You know, they forced everybody to up their game. But I thought Top Cow and even going past this, which I know there's another Top Cow special because I pulled one out. I assume we'll, you'll cover that at some point. Yeah. Have me back. I'll be on. But anyway, <laughs> but their coloring, especially, it got just mm -hmm. got better and better and more impressive and more impressive as the years kind of rolled along. Yeah. And here's the thing. So they're on top of the world. They're doing the best production. They're selling a ton of books. But the thing that Sylvester has been trying to do, really all the image guys up to this point, is to break through in Hollywood, right? So like it seemed like for like two or three years every issue of wizard had some you know this is rob liefeld's new project he's doing this he's doing that and we got nothing and then sprinkled in here and there was mark silvestri he's trying to get this done trying to get this done so he talks about like the one failed project that had kind of taught him a lot of lessons about trying to get stuff produced he says quote the whole ordeal we had with the cyber force cartoon was a big one that went on for a year before we decided we could not deal with it anymore and he just says selling your property to hollywood doesn't mean anything hollywood spends millions of dollars a year buying things that will never get made so that was his big lesson he's just like they'll just kind of give you the run around we never saw a cyber force cartoon we got those tiny little cyber force mattel figures figurines not even action figures but then at this point we know that top cow's working on the witchblade tv series you know it's reported in here alan McElroy, who's written the spawn series on hbo and the movie is handling that but also there's an original animated series they were trying trying to produce called subculture which is just totally a hundred percent away from anything top cow has done up to this point it's slacker kind of futuristic sci-fi comedy stuff but it looks very much more like tank girl you know tank girl meets the max that's what it looks like to me and i'm curious just rob in your collecting you know nathan cabrera is the guy they just said go wild do whatever you want is there any idea like what it would be None. And I'll be honest, I don't even really remember seeing it much in their comics. I, I recall seeing it in this special. Uh -huh. I don't know that I recall seeing it anywhere. I, I'd have to thumb through all the books to see, but I, yeah. I, it sure doesn't bring up any, you know, like, oh, yeah, I saw it in this book until I saw it in here. And then, of course, we never saw anything <laughs> come from it. But. Yeah, it seems like here, uh, you know, and in the main Wizard magazine when it was brought up there, and that's probably all you ever heard about it. It just yeah. never came to be. There's not even like I've looked online. There's not a pilot episode. There's not test footage. It just it never got off the drawing board, literally, right. which is crazy. But of course, there's also a rumor of a live action Cyber Force TV movie, which would have been like Generation <laughs> oh X, you know, mm. would have been. <laughs> but obviously, Witchblade gets made, like we talked about earlier. We get the, the TV movie and then we get the series after that, but then nothing else from Top Cow was ever adapted except the darkness into two video games that we know Gabe loves. Uh, Love those yeah. video games, man. Those are great. The darkness of all things. I bought that game because of his darkness. 
and it was like this is actually an excellent excellent action shooter game this is fantastic i don't even know what console it was on what console? xbox 360 and ps3 days oh okay yeah so i mean it, it's, it's a it's, it even had like a multiplayer function which was completely useless but the game itself is you as, as jackie and it's it's a lot of maneuvering that you have to do because you got to stay in the darkness so you got to shoot out like lights and hide and you can create little darkness creatures that go out and tear up people and you're shooting up a bunch of mobsters it's a really fun violent video game series and it's way better than i ever would have expected it to have been does it have a heavy like because there's two of them is there one that's like more heavy on the storytelling element versus the action or are they about the same style of game that the second one, I, I guess after the popularity of the first one, like the second one, they, they really amped it up, but it became more like, it's a lot more cutscenes and stories and things okay. like that. Yeah. Yeah. The first one's a lot of like, I got to walk through the subway and go here. And, and it, the first one has some clunk to it, but they're just fun shooter games. It's really a good time. That begs the question that with <laughs> so many possibilities and so little that was ever produced, what is like the Top Cow book that you most want to see adapted, whether it's in animation, whether it's a, as a TV series streaming or a movie? Like what what is the one property you're saying like, this is the one would work? If we're talking about this era of things? Yeah. At darkness. Like, I'm surprised we haven't gotten something from the darkness. Like, I don't know if there's something in the works or if Mark is just not ready for it or whatever, but it, it's, it has a big universe. It has a connection to Witchblade. You can do things with the artifacts and all of that stuff down the road. That is something I think is the one top cow from this era of time that I think would be popular and should work. And even Witchblade in some kind of combination i think what you could do visually with that stuff obviously that you couldn't do when the tv show was on i, I could never really get into the tv show it's just a little too different from i just I, I just never could quite get into it but what you could do now with cgi and all that kind of thing i think you know you potentially could have exactly yeah but that same with darkness you can actually make those little creatures yeah, yeah. Little, we're, yeah. we're in that era to be able to pull off these kinds oh, of effects yeah. Yeah, like to me, like the darkness definitely does seem like the forerunner as well, because as a big budget streaming series, like Jackie can create things with his power, right? So that just gives the writers a chance to get super creative and wild with what they decide to do with things. The mafia angle is something that's so well understood yeah. in film language, in television, just like in pop culture, people understand what you do with that. But also just like the constant temptation of women being deadly to him. There is so much humor you could mine from that. It would be oh, yeah. so much fun but this is my pitch like a witchblade darkness series that launches together so what it is is one episode is witchblade next episode is darkness and it, it alternates each episode and be until fun. they meet up yeah. like, stop coming up with good ideas adam because that's not going to happen <laughs> and it's i want that to happen that sounds cool putting it out there come on <laughs> Get everybody, the takes, a to show everybody up. takes a pitch these days you're about yeah. to be somebody listening to <laughs> but that's it for this moment in time now Post-1997, like Rob was mentioning, Wizard just continues to build their relationship with Top Cow for the life of Wizard, like publishing several more Top Cow specials, highlighting individual characters, and then putting them on the covers, you know, right up until the end of, of Wizard magazine. So we'll definitely be returning down the line. So if you guys are up for that conversation, you know other super fans, we could get a panel going here and see what the, the next phase is all about. But I have to ask, as we close out, two to this point in time 1997 what was the most successful artistically in your mind the best book that top cow produced uh darkness there is a point because it starts off in mark sylvester and like i said that art was really rough where joel benitez shows up 
and just blows the socks off this book. Like he is kicking sand in Mark Silvestri's face. Like his art, he's just kicking sand in its face. He comes in, he takes his lunch money, steals its girlfriend, <laughs> and just topples this book for like a good while. Like art-wise, is just incredible. Like he really comes up with new concepts and ideas uh, with layouts. This is the time when they were doing a lot of like, almost like I'm reading like a like an adult magazine, like a lot of like up and down vertical, like two-page spreads. But he made it work where the storytelling kind of was able to kind of fit through it the right way. It was a lot more clear art where Silvestri and whoever his assistants were it was very muddy and kind of scratchy this is very refined artwork so Benitez was killing it on darkness at this point yeah that's that's hard to argue that that guy is so good and was so good on that book uh and again even when he was doing weapon zero but yeah and again i'm a huge michael turner fan so it's hard for me not to you know also say which blade just because i think we're now quite a ways out these guys were just starting out and they were yeah. already so good. And they yeah, this is like issue better. 18 of like darkness. They were talking about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just amazing, you know, with the, those two guys, especially. Well, guys, I just want to thank you so much for joining me here. Cause yeah, this has been a wonderful discussion. It was so great to get your perspective and really, yeah, as people who were there all the way along the line, you know, and, and enjoying the product at this moment in time. That That's awesome. So uh, if people want to continue to see your collection, Rob, where can they find you online? On Twitter, it's at our... Holmes 0520. I should have something more exciting than just Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Pop cow Rob. Yeah, something. Yeah, probably. That, that probably, I should probably change it to that, but anyway. Okay, great. And uh, Gabe, how about you? What are you up to these days? If you guys can follow me, uh, I'm part of the Patreon. So I'm always there on the uh, in the Patreon group side of things. I'm also in the Facebook group side of things. But you can follow me on Instagram, uh, Gabe Loves 90s Comics. And on YouTube, you can follow me on uh, the Omnibus Collectors Network for the Omni Bros Live shows. Very cool. And thanks, Gabe, for mentioning the Patreon there. Of course, we're having a lot of fun with our patrons. We added two new folks this last week. But not only that, what are you getting for your five bucks a month? You are getting a full scanned copy of the issue like this top cow special plus you're getting extended uncut versions of the episodes a video version i will tell you uh this particular episode we actually have a conversation about 15 extra minutes with gabe and rob showing off some of their top cow collectibles so again that's something that you only get on patreon you don't want to miss it uh aside from that of course that's our five dollar standard geek tier but for seven dollars a month if you want to go the extra mile you get all the perks Plus, you actually get to have a bonus podcast each month where we are talking 90s superhero and comic book movies on our 90s super cinema series. This month for April, we have Spawned from 1997. Ooh, that's what our patrons voted on. Each month they get the choice, so we're excited to be talking about that, Michael, Pete, and myself. Up till now, Michael had been on a little bit of a break, only appearing on the 90s super cinema episodes, but he will be back for our discussion of Wizard issue 73. So stay tuned for that as well, but also stay tuned on our social media, on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. Of course, you can find our merch at tpublic.com. And hey, if you want to spread the word online, sharing the podcast, whether you're retweeting, whether you're adding people who you think should be listening, or you're leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate a five-star nice review there. Tell people what they're missing, because we want everybody to enjoy the 90s comic nostalgia that we bring to you each and every week but hey until next time 
This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.